0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Riskologists. This podcast is brought to you by Optimise and hosted by me, Pat Bradshaw. Optimise are thrilled to host this podcast series, where we'll be speaking with some of risk management's most respected and esteemed thought leaders from across the UK and beyond. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring our guests' journey within risk management, as well as delving into their unique insights and invaluable first-hand experiences around some of the industry's most pressing topics. Our goal? To create a platform in which ideas and thoughts can be shared in order to inspire and educate our audience and to ultimately give back to the risk management community across the world. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Riskologists. As always, I'm your host, Pat Bradshaw, and absolutely delighted to be joined today by Darren Mullen. Darren, thanks a lot for coming on.
1: No problems, Glad to be here.
0: Pleasure's all ours. Just jumping straight into it then, Darren, I think um, a really good place to start with these things, just to give the listeners some context, is a little bit of a journey to date, really. So how you got into risk management, where a lot of the time I speak to people, it's quite convoluted, so I'd be interested to hear here, where your where your journey began, but um, but yeah, just just as a bit of a timeline of your career up to this very point, recording this podcast. So, uh, so yeah, fire away. Yeah, so probably like most people, I didn't
1: uh,
0: want to be a risk manager when I was young. But <laughs> I sort of, I sort
1: of, sort of fell into it. So, so when I uh, sort of university in my early career, I was actually a scientist, and and uh, originally wow. my degree was in. Uh, food science, biochemistry. It was something I was interested in wearing the white lab coat. And so my first sort of five or six years of my career were in pharmaceutical sector, uh, food manufacturing, very much operations and manufacturing. Loved it. uh, Very challenging. And then uh, I started an MBA and and I suppose maybe it just opened my eyes a little bit. Yeah. So I joined a a niche. Consultancy called Risk Risk Solutions. I stayed there for nine years, and 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 I owe so much to that team, It was led by uh, um, somebody I still friends with, uh, Mike Robertson, and they very much that was my apprenticeship. Uh, and we worked on some amazing stuff back then, in terms of right in the heart, in terms of had foot and mouth disease, some of the major real crashes. Um, yeah, even things like sort of uh, London Underground was going through the whole PPP journey. We were very much involved in that. I was like three days a week in London Underground, amazing. Network Rail, government. So, so it was amazing. I owe so much um, to that team, that company. I stayed there for about nine years, um, which is, you know, that's a long time to stay with a company, even
0: back then. And how old I were you when there. you uh sorry to interrupt Dan, how old yeah. were you when you joined that i hope you don't mind me asking <laughs> uh, yeah, so
1: so i joined um so uh it was five years or six years after i graduated it would have been around about uh, 2000 i joined risk solutions i am okay. give away my age now so, uh, <laughs> so then so around about 2010 then i i changed i i uh um, joined the boeing company um Back then in the UK, we uh, Boeing Defence UK had about 100 people. By the time I left, six years later, going to 1,000 people, so sort of very different working in uh, um, defence, various defence programs. Sometimes I was actually seconded into the Ministry of Defence to provide support in um, specialist uh, areas of risk, mainly on risk, uh, also setting up PMOs and various uh, system safety security as well. Um, And I'll I'll touch back on that later, uh, probably in some of the later questions. Um, Then after six years, uh, I uh, joined Turner Townsend and uh, to work on Hickley Point C. Oh, nice. Yeah, part of the core team. Again, it was very much uh, setting things up from scratch. It's probably a theme there in my career. Probably generally uh, setting things up. Uh, I get bored easily. Uh, I was there 18 months. I was planning to stay there much longer. And then just an opportunity came up at random to move out to Saudi Arabia. That was just over three years ago. Uh, and here I am out here uh, working for uh, the National Shipping Company. So so again, it's very different. And I probably will touch that a little bit later as well. So sort of a uh, bit of transport, defense, uh, government, nuclear and uh, now shipping. So um, that's up to where
0: I am now. Amazing. How does the old yeah. Irish skin cope in the uh... In the Middle Eastern sun, <laughs> not very well. Not very well. <laughs> I can imagine, as people can probably tell my name, if if I'd taken my mum's maiden name, I'd have been Patrick Murphy. So I've, I've I'm, i I don't think I cope very well out there either.
1: You can't get any more Irish than Patrick Murphy.
0: How are you finding being out in the uh, in the Middle East? I've spoken to um, a couple of people actually who'd be interested in being involved in the podcast who've been out there, and um, and it's one of those things so, where it's with risk management just opens so many doors to travel the world, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, so uh, up until I came out here, uh, I'd never worked
0: away outside
1: the UK for more than a week. Maybe I'd done a a trip to the US for work, uh, maybe a few days in Paris or whatever, never more than a week. And uh, just, uh, it's about timing, it's about timing and things need to be in the right place um, sort of, my daughters had sort of grown up by then. The opportunity came up, I'd never even been to the Middle East, I'd never even been to the on holiday. Um, and I came straight to Saudi Arabia and, and like anything, it's a, uh, it's a change. It's another change, but then I sort of managed sort of changes before. This was a change in, uh, when I originally came out, It was working on the Metro project. So, uh, and some of it uh, from my time in London Underground, that was familiar. So, um, yeah. but no, it's just like anything I, I go back. Uh, if you, if you focus on your, your, your work, you treat people with respect. You act with integrity, wherever that is, you won't go far wrong.
0: Yeah, um, couldn't agree so more. Different, no different out here. Couldn't agree more. Was it as, as much of a culture shock as, as you would you would have thought for pe- anyone who might be considering it? It's it's not it's it's not a culture shock. It's it's just a fast, such a
1: fascinating culture here. Yeah, uh, in Saudi Arabia, it's been an amazing, uh, eye opening. Um, it, it's it's sort of quite humbling as well. Um, sort of made it makes you reflect a lot. Even so, uh, and with uh, an amazing culture. So so it's a big change in culture, but
0: uh, uh, it wouldn't be shock. You know, shock implies it's something negative. Yeah, it's positive, uh, very positive. I've spoken to. Um to to a number of people who've traveled and done risk management around the world. And I know things that are norm here can be different abroad. Like, for example, in Asia, I know the color red is considered something very good. Whereas in the UK, obviously red, amber, green um, in like PID diagrams, it, it's associated as negative. So you also almost got to flip it on its head. But yeah, no, I find, I find that stuff really interesting, but amazing. Thanks for that, Darren. So yeah. in terms of the, the topic, as everyone's probably noticed from the, uh, the podcast title today, we're going to be discussing designing and implementing an effective risk process. So just be, just before we jump into that, Darren, I mean, a lot of people, when they come on with these particular topics, it's something that's either quite close at hand or something they're particularly passionate about. Uh, where, where was this topic from yourself born from in terms of discussing? It's First of all,
1: when I, I looked at some of the topics some of your other uh, speakers talk about, there's such a breadth and, you, and, the, uh, and I'm fortunate to be sort of part of this uh, project. But I suppose i was trying to think where could I... What would be interesting um, to me, and maybe it goes back to something I just mentioned, where in my career, the pattern was I was at the start of things, you know, in in, the Boeing company, setting up programs. Um, In HPC, I was at the start, coming out here, setting up things. And I suppose what it comes back to, it's about process, structure, framework. If you can get that right, uh, it can set you up for success. If you get it wrong. Um, it, it, can, it can hinder you going forward. And and uh, and I suppose, you know, the follow-on from that is, you know, wh- what do I see in terms of a good framework or structure or process? Well, the word frameworks use a lot. And, and I suppose the way I describe it is it, it, it can set up the intent. So if roughly, you know, what's your philosophy? Where, what are you trying to achieve? And the process should support that. And, and, and the process is what you write consistency, repeatability. So it's you know taking those inputs, knowing where they're coming from, some sort of activity in the middle, with clear roles and responsibilities, delivering consistent outputs to the right customers at the right time, delivering what they need. And and, and I think if you can sort of get that intent, um, which is important for stakeholders, supported by the process, uh, I think it's important. And we we'll probably touched a little bit uh, during this conversation around, uh, you know it's not as easy as that so there's probably a few little hints and tips to follow along the way
0: cool so just moving on to the to the next point really then darren so a key aspect of of risk management is of course choosing the right process or framework which obviously might might seem like quite a daunting daunting task i mean can you give any advice on on this process based on your previous experience
1: yeah first thing to say is you know oh
0: boy there's a lot
1: of them out there you know yeah And, and uh, whether they're you, some will claim to be sort of more enterprise, so I think thirty-one thousand, um, ISO thirty-one thousand. Some some will tend to maybe focus on, on projects. So you've got obviously the APM, um, and, and it depends which part of the world you are, maybe PMI as well. So in terms of project. Um, some also um uh, are, are very specific. So if you're in uh, specific information security risk assessment. There'll be a particular niche framework versus maybe a uh, reviewing a safety risk and a, a safety case. So, so I think that's the thing is work out where you are um, on that, and then also quite lucky as well, some frameworks. Um, sometimes a, a, a project or an organisation will create its own. So, for mm-hmm. example, uh, I know Crossrail they've published a lot of their material they've used under sort of knowledge sharing. So, so again, even within a company, they may create something for them. So I think that's the first thing. There's a lot, a lot out there, and and there's no one size fits all. So so, by looking at them all, uh, look uh, what works for you, and use it as a starting point that you can refine and configure and, and sort of uh, sort of um, on that one. But whatever you do, the most important thing to remember is they have eighty to ninety percent in common. So, you know, there might be a particular word, might be different. They might use the word analyze instead of assess, or they use the word response control. They might interchange words, but fundamentally the structure is still there. So that's the second thing is if you pick the wrong framework from from the start, as long as you tailor it for your needs again, uh, that's okay. And and I suppose the other one is is, is whatever framework you pick to then sort of start to craft your process um, underneath that is never forget the process is a living thing it will change over time and that's something is don't don't do something to start sit back and rest and think your job is done always go back and review things are changing in your enterprise in your project whatever it is so keep going back to your process and think do i
0: need to change it along the way okay no, that's 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 really useful, Darren. So just honing in on on that last point, really. So in terms of obviously the process being iterative and um, potentially constantly changing, I mean, could could you give some examples of that of how the risk process can change? I mean, in terms of yeah. you know focus, resources, capability, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So if I pick, we well, talk about different areas. So let's pick the project domain. It's probably uh, a good one. And if you think about even a project, the project itself has got a, a life cycle, you know, and mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, from that early idea, that concept, sort of maturing into options, picking that option, then the execution of that op- option, all the way through to some sort of closure or termination of the project. And if you think about it, the risk, the role of risk management, can change in terms of its focus, the amount of resource you might need, and, and even the capability, the type of resource as well. And I'll give you a a few little examples. Is you know, if you think about towards the front end of a project, you're talking about an idea, a high level concept. It's a bit immature, a bit fluffy. uh, Sometimes you're asked to consider the risk. Well, actually, you're probably more talking about sources of uncertainty because it's a bit. too fluffy, it's not actionable. What I always say is, is if, if, if you call it a risk, it means it's well-bounded, well-formed, it's, it's actionable. So you maybe talking about sort of sources of risk. And, and, and again, there's lots, you know, I, I know within the uh, APM guidance, they give you some um, uh, sources of risk you can, you can refer to. And, and so that's probably one thing, whereas actually, um, if you, as you move along, as the, the project scope matures, then you talk, start talking about identifying risks. Turning that areas of uncertainty, you know, an overall bundle or, or fluffy thing of uncertainty into specific risks um, that can be actioned. But also also things as well in terms of which parts of your process, so even if you take about it at the front end of a project, the focus may be on identification. Yes um, it, may, it may be difficult to, to talk about how you would implement responses because you don't know how the project will be executed. Whereas once you're in the middle of the project execution stage, very very much the focus by then is on action. How are we going to respond to this risk? What options um, as well? And even before that, before you enter part of your procurement, you may start talking about risk transfer. So think as you go along the project, different things will pop up and down in terms of focus. And and, and maybe another example is is the whole area of analysis. I know it's a very controversial area. It's, It's a lot of things whole quantitative qualitative thing and and the way the advice i give is is it's not an or people say it's 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 not quantitative or qualitative it's both and somebody what, what do i mean by that so particularly the front end is is quantitative analysis can sometimes take time it can sometimes take a lot of time to do it depends on much data you've got maybe access to experts maybe you don't have experts in the team you yeah. don't have the data, you don't have the time. And, and so therefore, it may be more qualitative. But from your qualitative, if you can identify where those bigger, bigger areas of risk, now we need to invest in time and expertise to focus on those and quantify it and verify it as well. So again, you know, it may be coming up to, as I said before, some key decisions. You know, how much contingency do we need? Well, that needs to be a quantitative analysis. Uh, how much risk should we transfer? Well, How should we price that risk that we're transferring via a contract? Again, you need to price that, and, and it's quantitative. So I think that's the thing to work out is, is along that journey of, let's say, a project in this example, is certain things will go up and down. Resourcing as well. Uh, you may need less resource than more resource as you get termination. Capabilities, you know, particular specialism, understanding uh, how to manage risk across a contract boundary. Um, even when you need the quantitative maybe you need specialist tools or software so so i think that's the overall message is is always be conscious and aware that different parts of your process may become more or less relevant as you go along that journey
0: yeah Yeah. okay brilliant so so on the 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 qualitative and quantitative piece, and down do you think a brisk process can be considered robust if there was only qualitative approaches in there. I know, obviously, a lot of the time it yeah. completely depends on the context. But I suppose, just just bluntly, do you feel like a process could be considered robust if there was a, they're only considering qualitative approaches?
1: In in my view, if if it,
0: the answer is no, you may
1: get away with it for a small amount of time in a particular part of a project. Yeah, but over over the duration of of a, of a in any organization, you, say you take an annual planning cycle for an organization and, and you need to sort of, and you're into forecasting budget and revenue, you, you will need some sort of quantitative analysis, as I said, in the project. So, so, overall, you are going to need to do some quantitative analysis at some stage. If you have not thought about it in your process and built it into your process at the start, you've got a gap yeah and, and sooner or later, as I, you know that gap will will become a problem so think about it early plan for it early I go back you know start planning about resources capabilities software, plan early when you will need to do it key decision points um as well but i i, I it, uh, whether the word robust or it's incomplete your incomplete. process is
0: incomplete yeah okay that's fine. So do you think if, if a, a particular organizational company hasn't considered quantitative in your experience, is that more so because they don't see the value in it or they're just relatively immature and, 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 feel, and don't feel they have the capacity to be, able to, to be able to undertake that sort of analysis? It's different.
1: Uh, sometimes, as I said, it depends where you are. At a particular time, the organization may not need it. So sometimes you're trying to force feed. Something that's not needed. Yeah. Um, and, and also as well, simple things. I have seen simple things where, where maybe in the budget there was no allocation for software. So so you would go in, we need to do it, and, and and maybe um, the software. And sometimes the software can be expensive. You know, but but even simple things, placing a purchase order for, for a software might take three months to get it approved. So I think sometimes it's a consequence of lack of planning. Okay. that, that, that uh, you, you don't have the enablers in place. Also planning in terms of the inputs. You know, if you know, we need to do some quantitative analysis, fine. We need the answer tomorrow. Well, if we planned this properly, you know, I could have sort of spoken to expert, accessed the data, integrated a lot of data cleansing, integrating data sets to get to that point. Um, also integration with your, your colleagues left and right, you know, I think it's cost and, and schedule. If, if you're not working, in linked up with those, how can you do anything quantitative in isolation? They both provide inputs into your work, and they receive the outputs. So, so I would say sometimes lack of planning in general, and uh, and not giving yourself enough time, and maybe not in terms of having specific software uh, uh,
0: set up as well. So, okay, cool, yeah, slightly off piece. I remember when I first started out in risk management, quantitative aspects. I did find. Quite intimidating. I've never really been much of a numbers person, but since I've still got into it, I've, it's probably one of the things I enjoy the most. I'm I'm quite blessed to have the partners at Optimize be to um, be absolutely brilliant modelers to sort of help mentor me. But um, but yeah, like I say, when I first started, it definitely intimidated me. I think I think
1: what does help is the software has improved a lot and does make it uh, much easier now. So uh, um, I'm not going to name specific software products, but but some of them make it quite easy. You 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 can get a lot of the way there very quickly. Yeah. And and uh, and then it's about refinement. Um, but you you can uh, no. I think it is it is easier now than it was. It's also less expensive. Yeah. You know, you go back several years, and and, and it was some of the software was very expensive uh, back then as well. You know, trying to ask for five to ten thousand pound for some software. Uh, yeah, and you go to the project manager and, and, uh, and, and you know, and on <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Good
0: stuff. Okay, cool. So um, we touched on some really interesting points there. I mean, in terms of any other key points in developing and imp- implementing a process, do you, is there any anything else that you would offer up there, Darren, at all?
1: Yeah. I, I And this is just based on my experience is, is sometimes I see, I call it process wars where we like, uh, and I go back, let's stay in the, well, let's do project domain first in enterprise. Now think about the pillars of project, you've got cost, um, schedule, especially project controls and risk. And, and I see it sometimes where, where they will fight each other. You know, you, you have, have to change your process to fit in with me, you, and, have, you know, and, and you find a lot of that or, or terminology, um, as well even if you go into the domain of uh, enterprise you know in terms of between the, the, the audit team might have their own risk assessment methodology to for risk-based auditing. you go to the quality team they'll have it different and and you're trying to fight and i think sometimes if you find yourself falling into that trap stick take, take a step back is it worth it sometimes you need to compromise you know yeah terminology you know the whole issue of you know Control versus response versus mitigation. You know, you're not going to call it this. Sometimes you need to compromise to achieve it. Don't forget what's, what are the outcomes you're trying to achieve. So that's the first thing. And second thing I think as well is is understand the the rhythm of your your organisation. And, and and again, this is enterprise. You could argue maybe it's got a, a quarterly or six monthly that rhythm. Projects tend to be monthly or every every four-week period. And and it's about timing. And, and the classic I use is is between uh, you'll have a risk issue and change, change of control. And it's called different things. Sometimes you hear called risk trends and change, but it's the same principle. And, and if you think about it, each of those uh, areas or functions of the process have, have, uh calculate something. So yeah. in risk, I'll calculate my exposure. Things that might happen in the future. And 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 then in issues, it's things that are happening now. And then on change control and making changes to the baseline in terms of again costs and schedule. And if you if you get things will move, you know, if, if, if a something materializes, becomes an issue or sometimes called a trend, you will take it out, you will maybe shut close the risk, or maybe you might reduce the exposure and it should increase. In, in this pot, um, similarly, when, when the change and they, and they change the budget again, they issue a trend ratio. And sometimes I see it go out of sync, yeah. and and un, report total, um, the total impact above above baseline or over or under if the timing isn't quite right. And I think that's something um, uh, that's quite important. You're part of a team. Um, your your customer is a project manager, who wants to understand, you know, w- you know, much contingency is he's got. How does it relate to exposure? Where is it? What is it materialized? What changes have been um, made to the baseline in terms of cost and schedule? And work together as a team. Understand yeah. the timings. And, and and I think that's where you can help most, particularly on day on day one uh, when you when you go into project. Same for um, uh, enterprise level whether you on a quarterly, reforecast, six-monthly. Work with your finance team, and, and they'll turn on some. We're trying to forecast for year-end. So, okay, so um, I'm we're sure. going to increase the budget. Okay, if you're increasing the budget, then actually some of these, uh, you're taking account some of the exposure. So I can't report the same exposure if you increase the budget, because we're double counting. So again, yeah. sort of, I think that's probably the key thing. Um, understand as well, you, you all have mutual inputs and outputs. Work with each other. Uh, in, in work with your colleagues. It doesn't matter if it's in project controls, with quality, with audit, depends on your, um, on your sort, of, uh, uh, sort of how you work together. But the key thing as well is, is this is a good one, is, is sometimes um, in terms of risk identification, this is classic, You classic, know, sit down with your colleagues, maybe there's been a near miss somewhere, uh, maybe they're aware of something that you're not aware of, and build up that sort of, so it's that one pair of eyes that you're you're relying on your, on your team and you will help them as well. So it's it's sort of, I think that's probably teamwork, teamwork, avoid process wars.
0: No, I was just about to, just to recap on that. So pretty much just collaboration and communication and uh, said, as we've had a couple of times in this podcast, just avoid siloing <laughs> yes, at all costs yes. because it's just um it's just bad news. Okay, no, amazing. Thanks, thanks for that, Darren. So last couple of points really. So in terms of obviously the process and, and as that moves along, how can you see the role of the risk manager or, or the risk practitioner or whatever um you're calling your organization organization changing throughout?
1: Yeah, I, I I've seen it change myself over over the years, and, and one of the key areas I call it Oversight versus implementation, and, and I've worked in sort of both, right? And it is subtly, the skill set is subtly different, and you need to sort of look ahead. And what I mean by that is, is um, depending on your organization, or, uh, enterprise, or, or a project, um, sometimes you may outsource. Um, could be sometimes it's a complete function. It could be scope of work, and sometimes somebody else is actually doing the risk and you simply have an oversight, you're receiving their work. It could be a monthly risk report, it could be some analysis. And, and then sort of um, if, you're, if you're on the client side or customer side or whatever you want to call it, you're you're providing oversight and review and assurance that it's been done properly and that the outputs are in the right format that you need to do whatever you need to do with it. So maybe, um, so that's something, people have sometimes have to get their head around versus the traditional implementation where you you implement from cradle to grave. Yep. Uh, and I think that's, you know, as we work in is there's increasing outsourcing within enterprises, increasing uh, contracting out within um, uh, projects as well. That Think about that and and also plan for it as well. So that's one area where, where the, the role of the risk practitioner, risk manager can change. The other area is, is sometimes uh, we always think about cost and shared job you know, when it comes to risk management. But sometimes you will have a specific decision or specific or special areas of risk assessment. And the two classic examples are safety and security. So in, in safety, and sometimes I've actually heard people say that's not part of the risk scope. It is. If. if You know, in terms of the objectives of the organization or project, if it's about, you know, delivering to time, to budget and just delivering something safe, it doesn't uh, harm the environment, it's secure. Well, hold on. It is in scope. And whether you do it yourself, whether you outsource it, whether it's outsourced part of a scope of work, it has to get done. So you have a role in making sure I call apples and apples. So that when these specialist or risk assessments are done, you're, you think about what's, what the, how you're going to take the output of that and integrate it into a, a sort of an integrated view of the risks across the project. So that's something to think about as well is where will they come up? And I've seen too many risk managers saying, that's not my problem. I'm not including that in my risk register. I am not reporting that. Well, if you are doing that or you're, you find yourself saying that, um, are you really serving your customers uh, well? So, in fact, you know they have two or three different risk registers across the enterprise or project. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I don't think that's that's I don't think that's the right thing we should be aiming for. So, I think there's probably the two main areas where this assurance versus implementation role it could change over the course of a project, and also um, let's call it sort of generic risk management or or vanilla risk management versus sometimes say the specialisms and and don't don't put your head in the sand and ignore it you need to sort of uh, uh, plan for it and start thinking about even sometimes giving them templates they may have very specialist analytical techniques but say look if you can deliver the output also in this format it means I can take it straight into the register and then I'm comparing apples with apples um, because sometimes maybe that particular safety risk may be more important and you may need to defer effort towards it versus maybe something that might have a cost or schedule impact as well.
0: I think it's really interesting. We something I've discussed previously, like the world in inverted commas, the world beyond cost and schedule, where, like you mentioned, there can be so many different, uh, so many more arms of the cost and schedule. like You say sef- safety, security, reputation, things like that. So, so things that to consider um is uh, is really important. So, just move on to the last last couple of points. Then, really, just to, I guess, sort of summarize where we've uh, where we've got to, and I guess a bit of a recap. But in terms of any other points to consider around the the risk framework and and, and implementing the risk process? Is there anything that we haven't touched upon yet you would like to sort of touch upon now?
1: Yeah, there's probably a few other uh, areas and I might touch back on on some of the points I've mentioned before. So so one of the things to think about, you see it as well, you hear people talk about sort of P3 and portfolio program project. I think one of the things to think about is sometimes you may find yourself in one of these layers and it's just to be aware of that. That you just you know, what's my role? So, for example, if you're higher up, maybe at portfolio level, arguably it depends. You're probably more interested in contingency, you know, where's where's and, and the allocation of that contingency across the portfolio of projects. So, whereas actually, if you're maybe um, not, I don't want to say lower down because it seems if it's less important, but if yeah. you're maybe at a different level. And you're sort of in the project level. Maybe it's more about uh, action, and and the focus is you know very much on 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 sort of action and, and responding to the risks. And I think I think this is the thing these days is just work out where you are, and, and and again just be aware of where you are, and maybe it might change your focus um, a little bit. I think I think the other thing is is uh, decisions uh, within your your risk process. So do think about that. Is is who needs to make the decisions? Um, how how you will maybe integrate your decision making uh, in with the wider uh, organisational decision making. So in terms of approvals, you know, and and, and I think that's something to think about. Um, well, it might save you time, and again, it's about being um, joined up as well. Particularly when it comes to you know, think the you whole know, contingency and exposure, you know. So if you're kind of people making uh, decisions around uh, contingency here and, yeah. and separately talking about exposure. If you can join the two together
0: um, in the same
1: meeting, um, I always think that's better. Um, the other thing I hear people talk about is risk culture. Risk culture. How's your risk culture? Uh, and, and there's no such thing as risk culture. And, and, and it's sort of, well, it's, there's, I've never been in any organization, small or large, where there's been one risk culture, there have been multiple. Yeah, And, and, and that sometimes it differs by uh, whatever function they're in. Sometimes you might have, it depends on the structure of different projects. And, and I think that's something to be aware of is, is every time you speak to somebody differently, you could argue it's almost down to individual um, level, um, which sort of is the is the segue into bias um, as well. So you almost every time you interact or engage with any individual, just at the back of your mind is, is sort of, and, and, and you will get this you will, through experience. Like all of us, we make mistakes. You've taken things at face value, gone off, and then realized, um, I don't need to verify it. It's okay. They've told me it must be true. It must be accurate. And yes. then you come back around. And I think that's the thing is just at the back, you always have that little voice, um, sort of uh whether well, you want to call it culture bias. Just just be, be aware of it. Um that's, in terms of then um I think the other thing to think of as well is is how your your organization or project is structured. Sometimes uh you're embedded. Um this concept of integrated project teams, you're part of the group, you're part of the team. Um, um versus sometimes risk as a service. So it's delivered into the that part of the organization or project as service. The dynamics are very different. Um, so, you know, sometimes you're sort of inside and seeing and, and, and there are positive and negatives to both. You know, if you're delivered, if risk is delivered as a service, you maintain some sort of independence um, in, in terms of assurance, but then you're sometimes you're left out a little bit. You're not quite trusted. Whereas if you're inside part of the team, Yes, you're trusted. They will. They will. You build up that trust. They will sort of be more open. Um, But then you you sometimes fall into the groupthink and and back to biases again. So it's something to think about um, as well. Um, The other thing as well is blind spots. I I see this again and again and again. And there's something try to consciously build in. And and so think. You know. um, And we. I hear people say, "Well, I'm I'm an expert in this sector." You know. Um transport, real, I'm an expert in real risk and this risk, and, 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 and okay, I, I respect that, um, but then that introduces uh, um, sort of potential blind spots where you'll you'll do what you did before and, and, and sometimes miss something. So, so the little test of that is, is think about different time horizons, um, just test, do that. Go back to basics, you know, go look at the full range of types of impacts, you know, Reputation, quality of service, environmental, um, also the full, all those internal, external sources of risk. Almost go back to the relearn so you don't jump in and, and have blind spots in terms of your identification and, and as well. So that's something I, I just I keep going back as well. Um, the other thing, watch out for interfaces. Uh, you know, organizations and projects are becoming more and more complex. Um, and, and what I find the problem is, it's around consensus on particularly the risk analysis, assessment, whatever you want to call it, um, the more interfaces you've got, internal and sometimes external, it, is, it takes more time and uh, to, to sort of get consensus, it touches back in and in the, the qualitative quantitative and quantitative, potentially sometimes even more time, you know, something simple that that three point estimate and and and, and you know it's it's getting the consensus so just be aware of that more interfaces um you might need more time um as well and just maybe just to go back and, and just resummarize recap on some of the points so go back to what I said before is is there's no one size fits all there's no perfect um framework out there to build your process upon so pick something and, 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 and refine it. I think that's and continue to refine it. Um, the other thing as well is, is is whatever you do can change over time, or maybe the, the area of focus can change over time, and your role within in the process. We touched a little bit about assurance and, and oversight, and I think that's the bit is just continually review, review, and and, and I go back to those three areas. Where should I focus? in terms of uh, along with it, uh, from the, how much resource do I need? Always challenge resource. Maybe you have too much resource or not enough. And then capability. You know, plan for um, sort of what skill set you need going forward. And I remember we spoke about some of those specialist areas. Yeah. Um, you know, security, uh, uh, safety as well. That's it, really. So hopefully uh, uh, sort of people have found it useful and uh, some great questions.
0: no it's no not at all though it's been a fascinating discussion and um just touching back on the um on the point you made around blind spots and uh, and stuff like that i think as people probably will have heard as the as the podcast has has gone along we've sort of discussed some really hot topics but i feel like having blind spots on these sort of fundamental principles of risk management and revisiting them is really important not only for people who's at the start of the career but i feel like if you've uh, been in for risk management for quite a long time, you can sort of get into bad habits and stuff. So, so revisiting stuff like this is is really important. But no, that's amazing, Dan. Have you have you got any any final points, or is there, I think we've summed it up quite nicely there, haven't we? No, I, I, I think we've pretty much covered everything, and, and uh, um, yeah, we've covered all the key points. Brilliant. Well, as I do with all my guests, i not put you on the spot here. But if you were to Give yourself a piece of advice that you know now that you you'd love to give yourself at the start of your career, and I suppose it's applicable for for anyone listening who is at the start of the career. And um, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I'd probably pick out three pieces of advice. So, yeah. so number one, um, I've been I haven't planned my career. I've been really lucky where I've managed to work across different sectors. You know, if you think about it from sort of being, you know, walking the length of the Northern line at two o'clock in the morning, working on, you know, um, some sort of high level key decisions around some of the previous pandemics, bird flu and stuff back in the UK and, and defense yeah. and stuff, even out here. So fortunate. We, I think the key thing is, is don't be afraid to change yeah. sectors. People think it's very different. It's never, it's, 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 uh, it's a couple of the acronyms will be different, but the fundamentals are the same. And I think that's the key, key thing is, is do go out there and and don't be afraid to change sectors. Also, I hear sometimes people talk about an enterprise risk manager or project risk manager. And I hear that. I've worked in both environments, probably 50-50. Again, it's all the same. Yeah. A couple of acronyms. So, I think that's probably my first bit of advice is don't constrain yourself to any particular type of risk role or sector. Get out there, it's, it's all the same. Um, the other one leading into this is I, I, this was great advice given uh, sort of an uh, sort of, uh, engineer back in a uh, working at the Boeing company, been around for a long, somebody I respect a lot. And he talked with the T model for your, your career, and something I try to do is, so let's take risk. Yeah. So 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 you, you, you give yourself across that, that good competence across the key pillars of risk. So, so if you think of 31,000 all the way through context, identification, of analysis, assessment, treatment, and communication, all of that. So you're a well-rounded risk professional. But in, it's always good in certain areas to get certain areas of depth. So it could be, Quantitative risk analysis. You want to be a ninja in that. Fine. You get the core capability, uh, maybe particular software, maybe um, like in my, I've had the opportunity, uh, security risk assessments, safety risk assessments. So you're, you're, you're recognized as an expert in that particular niche area. And, and, and I think, um, or maybe it's a particular domain. So think about that general competence together with a plan for this. Those areas of specialism—you can yeah. never be a specialist in all areas. So think about that. And then the, the, the third area is just that continual development. You know, uh, you know, back back when, say, you know, ours was a sort of the only thing really was the uh, Treasury Orange Book was that it was the thing to read, and there wasn't a lot else out there when yeah. um, it came to risk. And but now, particularly with the infrastructures and project authority, there particularly in the last one or two years, they generated a lot of excellent material when it comes to sort of project controls in general and, and risk in particular as well. So I think that's the thing is keep looking out there um, and also go back go back again. Sometimes, you know, I, 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 a sort of young graduate joined me out here recently. My first link i gave give her was the, the orange brick. And, and I went in and, and tried to find it and I found myself rereading it again. And it was like you sort of sometimes forget some of the basics and, and remind yourself so i think that's probably the three things is one don't be afraid to jump sectors do it um, secondly think about that T model for your career development and, and then thirdly sort of continue to develop yourself read read rate read. Um, that's it really
0: Amazing advice, amazing advice. Yeah, I think one of the, um, one of the amazing things about, about our profession is that it gives you the opportunity to work in so many amazing sectors and amazing countries as well. Proof right in front of us here. But yeah, no, that's, that's amazing advice. Thanks, Darren. So last, last point from me. So if, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you off the back of this to, you know, pick your brains on, on the topic we discussed or, or just engage in a bit of a discussion, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? Probably good on LinkedIn. <laughs> never fails, never Trusty, fails. trust your linkedin <laughs> great stuff no worries well um darren listen thanks so much for joining us today it's been an absolutely uh, fascinating discussion i'm sure our listeners will uh, will absolutely love it as well but yeah thanks so much Darren. really appreciate it
1: and thanks for the opportunity so yeah thanks
0: thanks man. you're more than welcome cheers darren thanks a lot right, bye. take care bye-bye and that's it for this week if you enjoyed this episode of riskologists be sure to follow Optimize on all of our social media channels where you can subscribe to this podcast and be notified of every episode so you don't miss a thing. Please like, share and leave reviews to help support us and increase our reach within the wider risk community. And join us next time where we will be chatting with another leading figure in the world of risk. Until then, thanks a lot for listening and take it easy.